We're in 2 Corinthians 12. Pretty soon we'll be done with this book and on to the next. And pretty soon I'll be letting you know the next book we're studying, but not now. 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to go through the first nine verses. Start with verse 1. Let's read. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body or I do not know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise, heard inexpressible words that's not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears for me. And least, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God that's filled with the spiritual nutrients that we need. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're causing your children to walk out, each hearing from you what they need. Only you can do this miracle, and I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, let's start unpacking this. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Again, this section, Paul's dealing with false teachers that had infiltrated the church at Corinth after he left. And so Paul brought the grace message to them, and false teachers came in with a form of legalism, but also mixed with some Greek culture and some spirituality and promises of great visions, revelations, and visitations of angels. And, and so they combined the legalism with the spirituality, false spirituality, and some in the congregation had bought it hook, line, and sinker. Most of the congregation was behind Paul, but a portion of the church had gone after the false teachers. A schism had happened in the church. So Paul is now having to compare his ministry, true ministry, to their false ministry. We saw that they weren't even true Christians, that they were ministers of Satan. And so we're going to find out some of the things they were teaching. In this verse, Paul's going to bring out visions, revelations, because the false teachers were boasting of great visions that they had, visitations in heaven, angelic beings that they've seen, and great revelations they had gotten, but they were not from the Lord, they were from Satan. And we're going to see how they got off. And Paul's going to say, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And so Paul's going to talk about visions and revelations because the false teachers were boasting in those. The Corinthians bought into these. How could they buy into false teachers that had come from Satan instead of God? Well, partially because they weren't grounded in the Word of God. And they valued spiritual experiences above the Word. Now, I value spiritual experience. I value the gifts of the Spirit, all the manifestations of the Spirit. We're a church that believes in them. And during the church service, we give a room for the Holy Spirit to move in His different ministries. We're going to have a prophetic night. I believe in all of the manifestations we see in the Word of God, but I don't value spiritual manifestations above the word because how do you know that revelation you got is from god there's another source there's satanic source so how do you know that you got it from god because there's a benchmark of truth that we can see a guidebook of what's true or not thy word is true and so if you're not grounded in the word and you're a prophetic person you're in danger ground because you can be deceived well i can't be deceived no you can be Tell someone you can be. 
So Paul's going to bring out, well, they boast in visions and revelations. Well, let me talk about it. I've had them. Paul had received visions in his life, six which are recorded in the book of Acts. I'm sure undoubtedly he had others, but in the book of Acts, six are recorded. If you're taking notes, uh, you can write these down, jot them down. Acts 9, 3, 3 through verse 12. That's his first encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus. Chapter 16, that's verses 9 and 10. Chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Chapter 22, that's verses 17 through 21. Chapter 23, verse 11. And chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. Record visions that Paul received. Now let's talk about visions. There are four types of visions found in the Word of God. And you might, you might say, hey, I, I, I had one of those. Um, so the first vision, type of vision found in the Bible is called a spiritual vision. Spiritual vision. This is when your eyes are closed, you know where you are, but you see something in the spirit. I have had a couple of those to where my eyes were closed and I wasn't thinking anything, and that's pretty normal. <laughs> Usually when I close my eyes, all I see is floaters. But, but in these two instances, a photograph, clear as I was looking at a natural photograph, was right in my mind's eye. My eyes were closed. I saw a photograph. I don't have time to get into the significance of those photographs, but I did have a spiritual vision. Acts 9, 12, Paul's eyes were closed, but he saw the risen Lord. Uh, an open vision is the second one, open vision. That's where your eyes are wide open, but you see in the spirit realm. And Peter had such a vision in Acts 12. His eye, an angel comes in and uh, wakes him up, and, and he thinks it's a spiritual vision happening. He's dreaming or something, seeing a vision. But he actually is, actually, his eyes are wide open, and he's seeing an angel. No one else could see it. So when you see an open vision, your eyes are open, you see in the spirit realm, but no one else can see what you're seeing. Uh, Billy Joe Doherty was a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He pastored Victory Christian Center, now Paul Doherty, his son's pastoring it. And so it was early on when he was pastoring this church, and they were needing a new building, much like us. And so we were driving along, he was driving along Lewis, if you know in Tulsa, that's right by ORU, where ORU is. And across from ORU was a huge empty field at the time. So he's driving across Lewis, happened to glance over to the field, and lo and behold, where there was a field yesterday, there is a huge brand new church standing there. And it said, Victory Christian Center. His eyes were wide open. He drove into the parking lot. He actually uh, pulled out a piece of paper, drew the church building. And as soon as he finished drawing it, it went, <laughs> disappeared. And they built that very church. That church is there today called Victory Christian Center. An open vision. The next is a trance. That's where you lose all sense where you are. You don't know where you are. Your senses are suspended. You see something. And that's Peter on the rooftop waiting for lunch. Acts 11.5. I've had a few of those. <laughs> waiting for lunch. <laughs> where I see a great dining cloth sheet descend with all manner of food. I joke. <clears throat> A trance. Then the fourth type is a night or a dream, a vision in the, in the night or a dream vision. Acts 16.9, Paul in a vision in the night, in the middle of the night, he had a vision of a man of Macedonia calling him over. So in the middle of the night in a dream, he has a vision. So there's four types of visions we find in the Word of God. He then moves on to revelations, visions and revelations. What's the difference between a vision and a revelation? A vision is where you see things supernaturally. Revelations are where you know things supernaturally. Visions are where you see things supernaturally. Revelations are where you know things supernaturally. Many of these revelations that God gave Paul are found in the New Testament called the Pauline Revelation. The Pauline, the epistles, are his revelations from the Lord. Matter of fact, the gospel itself came by revelation to Paul. Paul said, no man taught me or, or, or preached the gospel to me, but I got it by a revelation of the Lord. That's Galatians chapter 1, verse 12. 
And it's, just, it's revelations, visions, revelations of the Lord. Say, of the Lord. Of the Lord. Because you, you can have visions and revelations of the Lord, but there's also visions and revelations you can get from another source. And you need to know the difference. And, the, and, and unfortunately, the Corinthian church did not. So this includes visions where Jesus appeared to Paul, but also revelations from the Lord Jesus that gave him spiritual insight. There are legitimate visions, revelations, and visitations of the Lord, but they're secondary forms of guidance. Say secondary forms of guidance. What are the primary forms of guidance for a Christian? The Word of God. The just shall live by? The just shall live by visions? By prophecies? By angelic encounters? No, faith in the Word. That's the meat and potatoes of a Christian. And then by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the primary ways he leads every believer. And so the others are secondary. They are scriptural. There are times where most of you will have one or two or some of those. that They sprinkle throughout. You're not going to have them ever. He's not going to lead you by visions constantly, by visions and dreams and prophecies. You're to be led by faith. Be, wor- be worried about someone that's constantly having visitations. Of angels telling them things. Verse 2. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Paul knew a man. He knew him very well. He knew him fully. He knew him accurately because he was talking about himself. This was the rabbinical way in the day, to speak of yourself in a humble way. You use the third person. So Paul's going to mention a man in Christ. Instead of putting, I've had great visions, I've been to heaven, he's going to say, I know a man that's been there. In Christ. That means this happened as a born-again Christian. He was in Christ. Fourteen years ago, the time of the writing of First or Second Corinthians was around 56 A.D., 14 subtract 14, that's A.D. 41 or 42. This event coincides precisely about the time Paul was in Lystra being stoned. He's left for dead. I believe his spirit leaves, goes into heaven, but then he's raised from the dead. And Paul says while he was there, he had no idea whether it was in the body. He didn't know his physical body was there or he was just there in in his spirit. What does this mean? This shows that our spirit, when it leaves our body, looks just like, looks similar to our body. But better. No defects. So, so he looked down and he just saw like he had natural, he looked like he didn't know if he was in his regular body, if he was in his spirit. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Say the third heaven. Well, if it's the third heaven, what does that tell you? There must be a first and a second heaven. So what are the three heavens? The first heaven is our atmosphere, where the birds fly. It's blue. The next heaven is space, the final frontier. No, it's not the final frontier. I'm sorry. The third is the abode of God, the paradise of God. Now, man has volitionally, of his own accord, gone into the first heavens. Thank you, Wilbur and Orville Wright. We've, we've been traveling. All of us have flown on the plane, most of us. And we've even, of our own volition, gone out into space. Not very far. We've got to the moon. We plan to go to Mars. I'm still, I'm still holding. Don't know about that. And so man volitionally has gone into the first two, but guess what? In order to go into the third one, you have to make a reservation. Ask someone, have you made your reservation? Paul said, I was caught up. Say caught up. I was caught up into the third heaven. Notice it didn't say he went up. He was caught up. The Lord initiated it. He didn't initiate it. See, the secondary forms of guidance like 
visions, dreams from the Lord, visitations of angels, visitations of Jesus. They're legitimate, they're scriptural, but they're always invited into it. You never, ever, Old Testament, Gospel, New Testament, do you ever see someone praying for a spiritual vision or visitation and the Lord answers their prayer and shows up? They were always, they weren't even really expecting it. It really comes by surprise. And then they find themselves in a visitation or a vision. That's what happened to John on the island of Patmos. It says on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. The word in is the Greek word genomai. It means to become. It means it just happened out of nowhere. wasn't expecting it. He found himself in another realm. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 1 that talks about this. Tell someone you need to be invited. Tell someone else, don't go where you're not invited. Revelation 4, 1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. John was invited into the spiritual experience. What does an open door signify? When you open your door, what are you saying to the visitor? I'm inviting you in. And so they walk in. And, and not only that, but he had the invitation by verbal, come up here. He wasn't seeking to go up. He didn't go of his own accord. He didn't kick the door down. He was invited with an open door. Why do I say that? Because the false teachers were intruding into areas that they were not invited. Matter of fact, the Church of Colossians, or the Church of Colossae, had Gnosticism, which is the, the Greek culture that we're talking about now. They had it rampant going on in the city of Colossae. And you had people teaching that you could have visitations of angels, and they had secret knowledge that locked the next one, that unlocked the next level, and the next level, and it's like spiritual Dungeons and Dragons levels. And it truly was because the devil was over it. And, and Paul said, beware of those who intrude into things they've seen. What is an intruder? Someone that hasn't, that's not, is going where they're not called. They're not invited. Tell someone, don't be an intruder. Be invited into these things. Into the third heaven. That's God's abode. Paul had experienced the greatest extremes of the Christian life. The greatest lows and the greatest highs. We just finished the last chapter. We ended with the last chapter where he's let down in a basket, down and almost dying, and now he's taken to the highest of heavens to have the greatest visitation you could ever have as a human. Paul had highs and lows of the Christian walk, but he kept steady. How? The word, the word, the word. Look at verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. He repeats that twice. He already said it once. Why would he need to repeat it? Why? Because Greek culture of the day taught that natural substance, including our bodies, was evil and spirit was good and they never interacted with one another. And Paul's basically saying it is possible that my body could have went into the spirit realm. I don't know if it was or not, but it was a possibility. Verse 4. How he was caught up, say caught up. He didn't go up, he didn't went up, he was caught up. Invited into paradise, say paradise. I even like the sound of that, paradise. The word paradise means a pleasure park, a garden full of various kinds of luscious trees. The Eden was called paradise, Garden of Eden. And so in heaven one day, we're going to have the true type of the Garden of Eden. It's in heaven, and it's going to be something amazing. Joanne likes flowers. Her favorite flowers will be there, and ones she don't even know yet. You say, well, what's your favorite smell? 
Well, you may not have smelled it yet. This is a Rickyology, but I believe there's colors that we have not seen yet. You think it's possible to have an infinite number of colors with an infinite, num- uh, infinite God? And I heard inexpressible things. That means Paul could not put into exact words in his natural language of exactly what he heard and saw there. He couldn't put words to it. And he goes on to say, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Does it say it wasn't lawful for me to utter? Read it. Does it say, did he say, it's not lawful for me? He, he made it not lawful for me to do it. What does it say? Which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Not lawful. Hmm. Interesting. It's interesting how we have the internet filled with videos on YouTube of people that have gone into heaven with all kinds of things they've heard and seen and done that you can't find in the Bible. That they've been into hell and had visitations there and say things that not found in the Bible. Now, am I dissing anybody that's had a vision to heaven? No, I'm not dissing books. But let me say this. I would be very wary and careful of teachings and writings about things people see in heaven or hell that you cannot find in the Bible. So many Christians, they take what people say as doctrine, as truth. Very dangerous. Some books actually contradict the Bible. I'm going to talk about a book about a man that went to hell. I'm not going to mention his name, not going to mention the title of the book. I'm going to mention what was taught in this book. A man wrote about dying as a Christian. He's very clear, I was a, I was a Christian. And I went to hell, I died and went to hell. For a number of minutes, and I was tortured there. This book was on the New York Times bestseller list for multiple weeks. In this book, he said Jesus told him he did this to him so he could experience the horrors of hell, so he could warn people about how bad it was that people would listen to him and believe. This is against God's nature and against the word of God. John 8, look at verse 51. This is Jesus in the red. Jesus said, most assuredly, that means take it to the bank, what I'm saying here. Most assuredly, I say to you, believers, if anyone keeps my word, that's the gospel, you believe upon him, he shall never see death. Does that mean that they will never die physically? No, we all die physically. No, it's talking about spiritual death. You shall never see spirit. Well, he said, I saw what happened spiritually dead, spiritual death. I saw what took place there. But go on to the next verse, verse 52. He even, even now it gets a little bit more nuanced to it and says, you will never taste death. You'll never taste what it's like to be spiritually dead if you believe upon me. This man said he did. He said Jesus told him that if he didn't go through what he did and come back, that people wouldn't believe about hell. And so he did it so people would believe about hell. I don't disagree with that guy, with this man. Jesus does. I don't disagree. Jesus disagrees with this guy. Look at Luke 16, look at verse 27. This is the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom when he dies. The rich man goes into hell in the torments of hell. And the rich, the rich man is talking to Abraham across the gulf. Then the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father Abraham, that you would send him to my father's house. That you would send Lazarus. See, he was still treating Lazarus as his errand boy. See, the people in hell never change. If they came out, they're sorry they're there, but they've never changed. He said, send him over and let him dip his finger in my tongue so that I'm, I can be taken care of. He's still treating Lazarus like he's a servant boy. 
He said in verse 28, For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they would come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word. Let them hear them. Verse 30, He said, No, 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 Father Abraham. You don't understand. But if one goes to them from the dead and experienced what this is, they will repent. Verse 31, Jesus said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't hear the word, they will not be persuaded, they'll run rise from the dead. Tell someone you need to know the word. Oh, they saw, they heard. Goose pimples. Someone said, what's a goose pimple? I don't know. They're worse than goosebumps. They're goose pimples. I understand the interest in heaven. I, I get it. We want to know more. We want to know all the stuff that's there. I mean, that's normal curiosity. While we might want to gain some comfort in knowing more details about heaven, it's not the knowledge of heaven that assures us. It's the, our knowledge of God himself that assures us. Verse 5. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my weaknesses, infirmities. Most Christians are embarrassed by their weaknesses. They try to cover them up, they try to hide, no one would know what my weakness is. Paul was opposite, he boasted in his weaknesses. Why? Since he could give in to them and secretly do whatever they were? No, no. He boasted in his weaknesses so that when he acknowledged what he couldn't do and asked God for grace, then when God brought him through and enabled him to do what he couldn't do, God got the glory. Verse 6. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me, to be or hears from me. What is he saying in this verse? He's basically saying, I could go into some great stories. I could tell you of great things I've done, great heroic, heroic stuff that I've done through the Lord. But you know what? Over time, they will get blown out of proportion. They'll get bigger than they were. I'll be greater than I was. And that's just what happens with human beings after a time. Stories retold, bigger next time, bigger next time. And people just become overblown to what reality really was. I think we've done that somewhat with Smith Wigglesworth. He'd probably come back and say, yeah, you've made me into someone who just floats across the floor. <laughs> now, he was a great man of God. But after a while, we tell it so much that we make him into something he wasn't. Paul says, I refuse to go into much detail lest that happen to me. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure due to my pride... By the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of God, to buffet me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was reading common theology about this verse. The most ripped apart, twisted scripture you can find in the Bible. A messenger of Satan. To buffet me. A lot of times Satan has sent a messenger to buffet you. I'm sorry, buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Let's start unpacking this verse. Lest I should be exalted above measure comes from a compound Greek word. Exalted above measure comes from the Greek word, which means to be lifted up higher or above. And so many commentators will say that means self-exaltation, pride, self-exaltation. But I'm sorry, but this Greek word is in the passive tense in the Greek. It means Passive tense means it's done to you, not by you. To lift yourself up would be the middle voice in the Greek, and it's in the passive. And it just literally means to be lifted up higher or above by revelation. Again, most people think this means that Paul was in pride because of his revelations. And to keep him from pride, the devil sent him a messenger to keep him humble. Okay, put your thinking cap on a second. 
Why would the devil send a messenger to keep you humble? The humble receives grace. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. The devil's business is to try to get you into pride, not to humble you. This verse is saying that the revelations Paul received would cause him and him and his ministry to be lifted up and exalted to where all can see him would have greater influence than anyone around and do damage to the enemy. Make him so conspicuous that people would listen to what he had to say. Let me say something to you. Revelation always brings elevation. Say revelation Revelation. brings elevation in my life. The revelations was lifting him up higher and causing him to go further and the devil went and tried to stop him. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. So many people get this wrong when they try to pinpoint the thorn was a sickness. Poor Paul. He had eye disease. He had pus oozing out of his eye. And he was so horrid you couldn't look at him. Where is that? Where's that? Well, what was the thorn? Can we let the Bible interpret the Bible? That's the safest thing to do. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. What is a thorn in the flesh, according to the word? Well, let's look in the Bible. Look at Numbers 33, look at verse 55. This is Moses speaking about the Israel going into the promised land. Numbers 33, look at verse 55, it says, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain will be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you are dwelt. Here the thorns in the sides, or the flesh, was persecution, harassing. Go to Joshua in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. Joshua 23, look at verse 13. Know for a certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God had given you. Look at Judges chapter 2, look at verse 3. Therefore I had said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, thorns in your flesh, and your gods shall be a snare to you. So the thorn here, in context, is talking about persecution. That wherever he went, Satan sent a messenger to stir up persecution wherever he went. We see it in the book of Acts. We see wherever he goes, that commotion and disturbance is stirred up wherever he goes, and persecution abides him from city to city to city. The source is not from God, but Satan. So many commentaries I look at, they said, God sent the thorn. And I said, can you read? A messenger of who? Yeah, but God allowed the devil. The, the devil is his errand boy to get his will done. Okay, they're not on the same side. Opposite kingdoms, opposite goals. The devil's not on his side as an errand boy. And it's not a sickness, it's a messenger. Greek word angelos, where we get the word angel or messenger. A messenger is sent from someone. Who's the someone it was sent from? Satan, not God. It's important to get the right source. Next, please see the thorn was a messenger. A messenger is a, always a person. It's not a thing, so it couldn't be sickness. This was a fallen spirit sent from Satan to harass Paul. This spirit was the cause of much of the list of, of, of what he went through in the last chapter. The Greek word buffet is used five times in the New Testament 
Every time it's used of people beating and persecuting the people of God. Every time it's used. So here we clearly see Satan was the one who sent this messenger. Why? Lest I be exalted above measure, to be lifted up higher or above other people. So again, Satan sent the messenger to stir up the persecution. Look at verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. That concerning this thing is not the correct Greek. The Greek is, is actually says, of this one I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might depart from me. The Greek actually uses the uh, masculine in this. Concerning this one, I pleaded from the Lord three times that he might depart from me. Three times Paul prayed, and like most Christians, Paul prayed for something bad in his life to get out of his life. Usually our prayers are usually get praying for things that we want in our life that's not in our life we want, or praying out of our life the things that irritate us that we don't like when we're trying to pray it out. Well, here, Paul, three times prays that this entity that's stirring up trouble for him would depart. And the Lord said no all three times. No. 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 But he said something, and we'll get to it. He asked three times, why did God refuse this prayer request? Because we've been redeemed from sin. We've been redeemed from sickness. We've been redeemed from poverty. But you've not been redeemed from persecution. Because persecution has to deal with your kingdom assignment. Because this is the God of this world, the God of this age. We're, kept, we're on kingdom assignment to go out into the, king, the kingdom of this world and pull people out. And so... If you're on assignment, you will get attacked. You will. It's part of your assignment. I'm sorry. For him to have answered Paul's prayer would mean, Paul, I would have to remove you from your kingdom assignment. There's another person that prayed three times. And the answer was no. This is Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, he actually prayed, Lord, let this cup pass for me. It's a request. Please, let this cup pass for me. Now, he did qualify it. Now, your will, not my will. But he did pray three times. Will you take it for me? And the answer was no. 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 Why? For, for God to answer Jesus, to take him out of that, would be to take him out of his kingdom assignment. Out of his assignment for redemption. We've been praying so often, Lord, get me out of this, get that person out of my life, get this thing in my way, out of the way, please God. And God says no to do it would be me to get you out of the kingdom assignment God's given you. You're in a job. God, please, this boss. Now, if you work here. This boss, they don't respect me down. They don't treat me the way I deserve. My coworkers irritating me. Brother, flip a lip. Brother, sister, bucket mouth. Please, please get rid of them. Let them depart from me, oh Lord. My spouse, no, don't look, don't look. You're going to get in trouble. My, the thorn in my flesh. The Lord says, no, 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 no. You're on assignment. I put you there, you're on assignment. Does that mean that we can't ask for a reassignment? Yeah, you can. Well, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to get me another job. Hold on, hold, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you checked with HQ, headquarters? Because some of you are about to go AWOL and off your assignment. I'm speaking to someone today. You're tempted just to leave. It's tough where you're at right now. And you're praying, Lord, let it depart from me and let me depart from it. And I just want to get, I want to get out of this situation. And the Lord's saying, you're on assignment. Stay on assignment. Tell someone, stay on assignment. Stay on assignment. 
The Lord said, no, but I got something better for you. No, no, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get a different assignment. My, my ministry assignment, I haven't changed my mind on it. You, 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 I'm still wanting you to do that. But I'm going to give you something in the middle of it. I'm going to give you grace. He said to me, my grace will be sufficient for you. Can I have verse 9? He said to me, my grace is right now. Right now. Not will be, right now. What are you facing? His grace is. I love this verse. Because when I read it five minutes from now, it'll say is. A year from now, is. Five thousand years from now, is, is, is. Where he's called you, there's grace for it. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Why is grace... Well, Pastor, I, I, don't you got to pray for grace? That God will just give you the grace? Hold on a second. It, you, you would have to do that if God hadn't told you 16 times in the New Testament, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God the Father. 16 letters of the New Testament start out, grace to you. It's available, and everything I'm asking you to do after that first verse, you do it by God's grace. It's available. Tell someone grace is available to you right now. Just got to tap into it. It's available. With your sandpaper person, sister bucket mouth, brother flip a lip, the boss, the wife, the husband. The thorn. It's sufficient. The word sufficient in the Greek means to be possessed with unfailing strength. To be enough. For my strength. The word strength is the Greek word dunamis, which means power. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you know that God's power in your life can be there and not perfected? God has power available, but in many Christians' life, it has not been perfected yet. It's not perfected yet until he's waiting for you to admit you can't do it. That you're weak and you can't do what he's calling you to do in the flesh, in the natural. I can do all things through Christ, but there's many things I can't do in myself. And that's called a weakness. And we despise our weaknesses. We try to cover them up. We try to overcome them. We try to make a weakness into a strength. But there's things in your flesh that are a weakness left there that only the power of God can overcome. Them. And until you put a white flag up and said, I've tried for a millionth time, that I can't do. You say, love that person. God, I can't love that person. All I want to do is slap them, Jesus. All I want to do is slap them. All I can muster, Jesus. But your grace, your unfailing strength, you can love them through me. And I receive grace right now. And I believe I have it now. And you're going to find yourself empowered to do what you could never do in the natural. For my strength is made perfect in my weakness. Every year, Joanne and I would lead a group of singles to the Illinois River. We would uh, baptize them there, but we'd, while we were there, we, in the name of doing something spiritual, we had some fun. We'd float down the Illinois River in our canoes. First time we went, Joanne started out in my canoe and ended up in someone else's canoe. <laughs> I did capsize it a few times. She wouldn't have stood up, but I... No. No, it's my fault. It's my fault. But we would float down the river, and some years they had less rain than they had before. You would get to parts where there was not enough water, uh, and there would be boulders in the way. 
And so, boy, I wish I could just get over here and just, we'd have to get out and move some boulders and pick up the boat. And it was just a mess trying to get across these rocks. And there's so many Christians out there that they have boulders standing right in the middle of the path God's called them to go. And they're saying, Lord, please remove the boulders. Oh, God, please get them out of the way. Or let me change course. I guess, no, I have a course for you. And there's going to be boulders in the way. So what does God do? Instead of removing the boulders, he sends more water. He sends a flood that lifts you up over the boulders and floats you over. That's what God wants you to do in your situation right now. Sister, he's not going to change his kingdom assignment. He's going to lift you up and over. And he's going to get the glory. Therefore, I gladly boast in my weaknesses. Paul took pleasure in his weaknesses. Are you crazy, Paul? No, why? Because he had the opportunity to let God do what he couldn't do. That the power of Christ, the Greek word dunamis again, strength and power, both the Greek word dunamis, may rest upon me. We see this Greek word used twice. It's the power of Christ that brings forth the fruit of the Spirit and an undefeatable strength in your life. That the power would rest upon me. Many Christians experience God's power very infrequently when they're challenged because they get out of the way. Instead of allowing God to meet them right where they're at with His grace. You know the power of Christianity is? That God can drop a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian, anywhere in the world. I don't care what culture, I don't care what political system, I don't care if it's legal or illegal or whatever. I don't care how much persecution you put a Christian that's spirit-filled, you put them, drop them into that environment, the worst environment possible, and they will still bear fruit. Why? Because they have an inner source they're drawing from. You know, Psalms, in the book of Psalms, it says the righteous shall flourish as a palm tree. As a palm tree. A palm tree is different than almost any other tree. All other trees get their sustenance through its bark. A palm tree does not get its sustenance through its bark. It gets it up through its core. That's why you can put it in a desert. You can put it anywhere. It receives its sustenance through the core. A lot of Christians are in the flesh. They're trying to live in their bark. But you have an inner core that you can draw from. You know, a palm, one thing about trees, you can kill a tree by wringing it. Cut a circle through the bark of any tree, you'll kill it because the sustenance comes through the bark and it can't come up and you'll kill a tree if you ring it. You can ring a palm tree and it'll still flourish. A Christian can take a ringing and keep on singing. I came up with that with myself. That the power of God may rest upon me. The Greek word means to tabernacle. That the power of God will tabernacle upon me. In the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle in the desert. In the worst environment on the planet, God put a tabernacle. That provided shade and respite from the harsh conditions. Likewise, the power of Christ will rest over you. And I don't care what kind of condition you're in and lift you up. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word that you've given us grace for our weakness. And you say, Pastor, I'm, I'm in a difficult situation now. Emotionally, the path I'm in, I want out of it. I wish it would go away. I wish I would get out. It would move. But it's in my path to where God has me. And today I realize instead of praying for assignment change, what I need is more water. A flood of grace that would lift me up and over my obstacles.
And today I realize that grace is available. It is, is, is. And I'm going to tap into it. And God's going to get the glory for me to flourish where I'm at. And that's you. I want you to raise your hand. Father, I thank you for those that have their hands raised. They admit what they can't do in their weakness. They cannot do what you're calling them to do in the natural. But Lord, I thank you for a flood of grace to lift them up over the boulders and obstacles of life and empower them to do what they could never do. And they're going to stay on assignment and fulfill it to the glory of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God. I feel that some people are being healed of like brain fog and like Parkinson's tonight and uh, fibromyalgia. And I just want to know that, just tell you that Jesus is the healer and he's healing hearts right now and he's healing circumstances also right now. I just want to, amen. Um, so I felt really impressed today that there's um, some hardships that are really happening in marriages right now. Um, and the, en- the enemy is coming against you with um, these imaginations that the grass is greener on the other side. And those are just lies. And you, you really have to handle those and cast those down. And uh, like Pastor Rick's message today is his his grace is sufficient for you. And so don't give up. You know, I feel like there may be some of us that maybe have been, you know, dealing with some fear. Maybe it ties into us needing to tap into that grace that pastor is preaching about today. But, you know, I would just like to just pray and sing this over, you know, maybe anybody that's having trouble sleeping at night or something like that. Has anybody here maybe had trouble sleeping at night or night terrors, bad dreams, something like that? Okay, I see a couple hands. Okay, see a few hands in the back. We're going to just sing this with you and over you. And just, we're going to, we're just going to tell that thing to go in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just command sleeplessness, you go in the name of Jesus. We command night terrors, you go in the name of Jesus. We cause anxiety through the night to go in the name of Jesus right now. The word says, I will lay down and I will sleep in peace for the Lord sustains me. So we just receive that rest, God. We receive that peace. We receive that hope in you, Jesus.